Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, here we are again. We just continue to, to mount one Rick and Bubba University podcast after another. Professor Burgess and Bussy here handing out degrees in common sense, of course, which has now become a superpower. And uh, we're excited this week to talk to Eric Metaxas. He's been on the show a couple of times. Uh, and a lot of things that are going on in our country right now, uh, he's been talking about, he's been writing about. And we're going to check in with Eric Metaxas. So, welcome to Rick and Bubba University, Eric. How about it, Eric? I I can't believe you think you think you're excited. I'm excited to be with Rick and Bubba. You guys are named Rick and Bubba. How can I not? You, you think I get to interview people like Rick and Bubba on my program? I'm the one having fun. I just want to be clear right now. I'm <laughs> yeah. the one having. Fun. Yeah, I, I, you look over all the things that you you have done. You obviously have the Eric Metaxas radio show and. Bubba and I keep waiting for you to invite us to Socrates in the city. It hasn't happened, uh, but uh, you know we we keep thinking that day. You say, and now on this edition from Alabama, here's Rick and Bubba. I'd like I'd like to do that just just for fun. If but, COVID nineteen keeps raging on, we may get in there, Rick. You're you know? right. I'm telling you. Well, we, we've got a lot to talk about, and yeah. and, and before we jump into it, I, I know that we've been talking about Express VPN. Uh, on the program and, and, of course, here on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, the big problem, you know, when you're, when you're out there and you're saying, All right, I, I'm out there, I, I, I want Internet freedom, I don't like the fact that I'm on the Internet doing what, what I want to do and, and going to check the sites that I want to check and get the information that I want to get. And, and, you know, I want to do that without somebody deciding. Like we talk about Bubba on the show, it seems like now every day, somebody's censoring me, deciding what I can see, I can't see. Or spying on me. Yeah, spying on me, follow me around. And that's why we use, and you should too, ExpressVPN. Uh, the problem with the big tech companies, and, man, we've seen them before Congress and everything else, is not only do they try to censor what you read, but they track what you do, as Bubba said, online, and they're tracking what you're searching for, the videos that you watch and everything you click, and then what do they do? They use that data, and then they serve you the ads they want to serve you, and then they match your activity to your offline identity using your device's you know, un- unique IP address. So when we use ExpressVPN, the tech companies can't see the IP address at all. So our identity is masked. Uh, we're anonymous, and, uh, and it's a secure VPN server. Plus, uh, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of the data, and that also protects us from hackers and all those Internet bad guys. Now, that may sound complicated. Here's how you know it's not complicated. I can do it. Uh, so it, it, here's what you do. Go to ExpressVPN.com. This is, this is, this, you're going to tap one button, and it's going to take about a minute expressvpn.com and then you want to put slash rick bubba uh expressvpn.com slash rick bubba now going to our link is going to get you an extra three months of expressvpn service for free and we like saving money expressvpn.com slash rick bubba eric metaxas our guest eric on, on rick and bubba university let's talk about what you got going on like august 25th here, here it comes uh, you have uh, another children's book coming out, and the title of it uh, is hilarious, Donald and the Fake News. <laughs> Donald and the Fake News. Now, I don't know if uh, if the camera will pick this up. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah it's good. Uh, it's because, uh, you know, it's hard. But let me just say, I, I got to be clear with your audience, okay? Uh, a-, a lot of times I let people say these are children's books. The first one was called Donald Drains a Swamp. I was on your program to talk about that. The second one is called Donald Builds the Wall. Oh, yeah. And the third one, the new one that just came out is Donald and the Fake News. These are humor books for adults who are going to are going to get the political humor. So this is a good thing to give 
to a friend uh, who who likes this president. It's even better to give to a friend who hates this president because <laughs> it you'll you'll see what I'm talking about because this is very funny stuff. But because it's not nasty stuff, it is appropriate for kids. So tons of people are giving these books to their kids. I mean, they look like children's books and they're sort of children's books, except that I wrote them really to make adults laugh. Adults will get the Nancy Pelosi jokes and the, you know, the political humor. It's it's all through these books. Kids won't get that, but they don't need to. It's like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Exactly. Where, That's know, what I was about to compare it to, the old Bugs Bunny. Yep. So so Donald and the Fake News is about um, there's a it, it's the, the first two books. Everything's going great in the land of the free. And for folks who don't know, there's a caveman named Donald. I'm not mentioning any last names, okay? Right. But he really, he drains the swamp and explains to the people what it is to be free, to no longer be beholden to the folks in the swamp. And they elect him their first president. And everything's going great. Everything's booming and whatever. But in the third book, uh, there are some people who, they live there in the land of the free, but they hate Donald because he's taken away their swampy privileges. So they go into a cave and they meet. They call themselves the resistance. I just came up with that. (laughs) And and the head of it is is an old sorceress named Madam Miss Speaker. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she she lives in San Francisco. (laughs) and, uh, And all I'm telling you is that there are characters in here that you may recognize. Right. All right. I'm not I'm not telling you who they are. No. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention AOC by name because then it blows the whole thing. Uh there's a there's a cranky old guy who's kind of a communist uh sympathizer. Yeah, uh, we know him. He looks like Bernie. I'm not saying it's Bernie, okay? <laughs> no, probably, so yeah. off. But this is political humor for adults. And what I've always said, and it's one of the reasons I like you guys, is I think that those of us coming from more traditional uh, or Christian or conservative angle often don't do entertainment. It's all about news, politics, politics. And I think that we need to have fun. So I wrote these books for for those of us who think that we want to celebrate what's happening in the country, want to celebrate a president who believes in draining the swamp, calling a, a spade a spade and saying, you know, I'm here to be a disruptor. So that's what these three books are. But the last one, Donald and the Fake News, is it's like we ripped it out of the headlines. You can't even you can't even believe it. At the, at the end of it, uh, the uh, the sorceress figure tears up the Constitution. <laughs> and of course, if that doesn't remind you of the State of the Union, <laughs> you forgot about the State of the Union. So th- it's it's I mean, I really do think we need to have fun and we need to celebrate what is happening because some of the stuff is just so negative. And uh, and there you go. You know, it is. A lot of people feel like it's, uh, you know, a, a dark time. And, of course, COVID-19 has been a big factor in some of that. But, you know, really, you make a great point. We should celebrate the fact that we are fighting back for a change. Well, people, it's kind of like you're not allowed to. And I'm here to tell you, oh, excuse me, you are allowed to and you should. Don't let the turkeys get you down, as we used to say in the 70s. I mean, you've got to be bold because what's at stake uh, I hate to get serious, but it's real. What is at stake is freedom and our way of life. Most people, you mentioned my book, If You Can Keep It. I, I realized that I didn't really totally understand this. And when I got it, I put it in my book, If You Can Keep It, because I said, if if most Americans are like me and they don't get this, we're dead. We need to understand what is at stake, 
what is happening in the country. And we need to celebrate America and, and freedom and fight for it. And if we don't, if we sit on our hands, like so many of my friends said, like, oh, I'm not going to vote because I thought, are you out of your skull? You're, you're going to be living in China in 10 minutes yeah. if you don't get serious you, and you don't do the adult thing and pick. Do you want socialism? Do you want uh, mobs in the streets telling you how to live? I mean, it, it's almost like become a living cartoon right now where you don't have to talk about what could happen. It's actually begun to happen. So uh, we're, we're talking on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Our guest today, Eric Metaxas. So in, in 2016, you wrote the book, If We Can Keep It. And those of you that, that may not be familiar with it, this is the great quote from Ben Franklin when they came out of the, you know, putting together the first ever constitution. And he walks out and the woman says, Mr. Franklin, what do we have? He says, we have a republic if we can keep it. I remember interviewing you about that in 2016. And I don't think any of us, you know, back to the humor side of it, we're having a hard time being humorous because we can't exaggerate enough for it not to be the actual situation. I, I mean, it, 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 you can't even make stuff up. And But when we were interviewing you, I don't think any of us thought that in four short years that question would be real. Is legitimate. Well, I mean, look, the question was legitimate four years ago. I'm not calling myself a prophet, but I'm telling you, like, there's certain things you do the math. And it's clear. And where the Democrat Party has gone, listen, I've ha I have so many friends that are that are still stuck on that side of the aisle. They don't understand the party has left them. Yeah. The party, JFK, uh, would be a conservative today. Uh, this is is no longer the party of what we call classical liberalism, which had so many good things going for it. I got to tell you, today it is the party of uh, partial birth abortion. It is the party of forcing uh, transgender education on kindergartners. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that, you know, Dave Wilkerson prophesied in 1975 and people said he's nuts. This is happening and we need to, to face it. And so the reason my book is called If You Can Keep It is because Franklin did say when he left the Constitutional Convention in 1787, a woman said to him, so, you know, what, what is this constitution? What is this government? What have you given us? A monarchy? or a republic. And I kind of thought, how kooky that she's asking, have you given us a monarchy? Like, how could Ben Franklin, you know? And then I thought, wait a minute, we never had self-government and freedom on the American model in the history of the world until the founders created this government. So at the time, people understood this is nuts. People have never governed themselves in the history of the world. Have you been able to pull it off? So she's asking him, what have, what have you guys been doing in that room for a hundred days in the middle of the summer of 1787, did you manage to pull this off? Is it going to work? And it ought not to have worked, I'll be honest with you, but by God's grace, it worked. And so he answers her, a republic, madam. So we've given you a republic. And then he says, if you can keep it. And that means that we, the people, are entrusted genuinely with being America. You can't just say we elected people. What you, you have to be vigilant in protecting freedom. If you're not vigilant, there are people, hungry people, who want to take over and they want to impose their will on you. And so we have to fight back. And I think we've had it so easy in America that we've never really had our freedoms threatened. It was always from without. It was always, you know, the Soviet Union or something. Well, today it's within our own borders that we have people trying very hard to take over from within. They've taken over the universities, which we all know. Uh, they've taken over the media. They've taken over, in other words, we're no longer the country we were. And if we, the people, 
don't step up and understand what's happening. And, you know, and if you can keep it, I put everything in there, which I think is what you need to know to figure out what you want to do about it. But I said, this is the 11th hour. And the reason it's crazy now, and you guys know this, is because Trump, unlike every other president, has been willing to step up to confront some of these dark forces, whether you call it the deep state or China, or there's all kinds of dark forces that are against American style self-government and freedom, uh, against the Christian faith, against uh, anybody of, of serious faith. They want to take over with, with a, it has become cultural Marxism. It's an atheist worldview that says the state has all the power and the state is going to impose its will on you. And Americans need to understand that's the normal state of affairs in the world. Unless you stand up and you fight for freedom, as we've had for 240 something years, you will get one version of that or another. It might be like China. And by the way, if anybody doesn't think China is involved in what is happening right now, they want to take over the world with their style of communism. But, you know, they're not going to do it overtly. They don't need to do it with tanks. There's all kinds of ways. And I I don't I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist. But the more you look into this, the more you understand we're at a tipping point. And I, what I call it is, I say it's an existential crisis like we had in 1776 and like we had in 1860. And if we, the people, do not step up and fight and, and sacrificially fight, uh, we will lose it. This is something that, and, and also if uh, I can say so, I think we need to really, really pray because I think that it's God's will that this country remain free but uh, we know from the Old Testament that, you know, God can have his hand on a country uh, and then he can take his hand off of that country. We need to we need to get serious. Eric, we, we definitely want to talk about that part of it. But let me ask you this. Um, the current American model has given us the highest standard of living that mankind and recorded history has ever had. But yet we have this mushrooming effect of people who want to be liberal. They want to be socialist. Um, they, they're rejecting the things that got us here. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is a millionaire. He has several homes, but he's against other people being able to, to achieve that. What right. is the draw for the liberal? How has this happened and what example are they looking to that they think that we can become? I, I'm really confused what they're trying to accomplish and why, from a well, logic standpoint. I'll tell you why you're confused. I know why you're confused, because it doesn't make logical sense. In other words, let's be clear. There is no way to get there from here. You want to achieve utopia, which is what they seem to be uh, gunning for, where everybody, you know, it's a chicken in every pot. Everybody gets to go to college. It's all paid for and on and on and on. There is no way. Payment-free housing. I've heard that term lately. Whatever whatever it is, we, <laughs> I never heard that. Payment-free housing. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Teen, teen Vogue. That's your mother's basement. That's what it's called. Yeah, well, Teen Vogue, there's an, you know, I know you always looked at Teen Vogue. Yeah. But we did that. But, but while that's important, and that's what young people are, are, young, young, are reading. Are that's reading. what's influencing them. And one of their editorials is one of their little writers saying that we should do away with private property completely back to, hey, Mr. Franklin, can we keep it? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they were real big on uh, on private I, property. I did, look, I just want to be I just want to be clear. OK, that when I wrote my book, if you can keep it, that was really the first time I understood. In other words, I'm, I'm confessing here that I I went to Yale University, which is one of the most 
spiritually dark anti-American places in America. You know, pe- people throw around these terms like, oh, that's a great education. Well, maybe 150 years ago was great education, but I'm here to tell you that I myself uh, grew up and didn't understand this stuff. And it was only until I wrote my book, If You Can Keep It, that I really began to understand that self-government and liberty and freedom on the American model never existed in the history of the world. It's fragile, it's complex, and it's up to we, the people, to keep it. In other words, we have to understand how it works and we have to kind of practice it in our lives. And a big part of that has to do with faith and virtue. The founders all understood this, that if you do not have faith and virtue, if you don't govern yourself, in other words, why don't I steal and loot? Because I believe it's wrong, not because I'll get caught, but because I believe that God will judge me, that God doesn't want me to do that. When you have enough people who think that way, you don't need that much government. They will, they will govern themselves, roughly speaking. And Ben Franklin and others saw that when revival broke out up and down the 13 colonies because of the preaching of George Whitfield, there's a chapter in my new book, uh, Seven More Men on Whitfield. Uh, and then I write about him in my book, If You Can Keep It. But this evangelist preached up and down the 13 colonies during that t- season before the revolution. And when the founders and Franklin especially saw a revival break out, they said, look at that. Crime goes down. Uh, domestic abuse goes down. Drunkenness goes down. These people begin to govern themselves. They, they don't need a lot of people looking over them and interfering. They govern themselves. That's what freedom is. It's the ability to govern ourselves without a big government telling us what to do. And I think that when I really understood how this worked, I went half crazy because I said, there's no other way to be free. In other words, what the, what the Democrats and the radical left and, you know, it's effectively cultural Marxism are selling cannot work. So, so we have to just be clear that the reason you get confused by it is because you understand it, it's not going to lead to what they think, but they believe that it will. And they also believe, this is the key, there's a group of people who want power. They want to be the ones in power so that even if it doesn't work for everybody, it works for them. And that's the definition of corruption, that you have a system that keeps kids going to crummy schools. The the Democratic cities are falling apart. Their schools are terrible. They don't want to give kids a parent's school choice because those those parents will vote with their feet and they'll send their kid to a school where he can get a real education or where she can get an education where she's not uh, uh, surrounded by horrible influences. Parents will choose that. But the, the, the Democratic Party wants to keep power even though people are suffering because they won't be suffering. They will have the power. And then what always happens is it's a trade-off. They say, well, it's like in, in uh, you find this in all corrupt countries and in, in a lot of third world dictatorships. They basically say, if you vote for me, I'll give you this and this and this and this. So th- they promise you things like free health care and free college and all this different stuff. Now, they may deliver on that for a short period of time. But, you know, and I know at some point they run out of money and the whole thing goes to Venezuela. It just falls yeah. apart. This is math, folks. This is not, you know, my conservative view or my this is the math. If, if they could make it work their way, I'd say, hey, have at it. Have a good time. But people are going to suffer. Poor people are going to suffer. You want to talk about Black Lives Matter, the, the, the Marxist organization that doesn't really care about black lives. If you care about black lives and you vote for a party that will not stand up to cultural Marxism, you are going to harm the urban 
poor in America. So we have a responsibility, I think, if we really care about the poor in America, to make sure that we don't give a free ride to cultural Marxists under the guise of Antifa or BLM or whatever they are, because they are a threat to the poorest of the poor. You know, most of us maybe will we'll get by. The, the, the poorest of the poor, they're going to suffer. They're going to have more violence. They're going to have less, uh, less of anything, less opportunity to pull themselves out of where they are. So, you know, you can tell that once I kind of understood this, I just got red hot because I said, this is, this is the tipping point for America. We, we've been pushed to where we have the clearest choice we have ever had. And I, I will not be one of those who says, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to get in trouble by speaking up. You know, my heroes are people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, yeah. and you have to do what is right. And you don't care about the consequences. You just do what's right. And you put the consequences in God's hands. So I will just keep speaking up and writing my books. Some of them funny, some of them <laughs> not so funny. Eric, um, let, let's say I'm a, I'm a good Marxist. Okay. And, uh, I'm out there and I'm, I'm spreading the word. But do I ever think to myself, we want to be like, insert country, community, city? What is the, is there a win out there that, that the libs can point to that, they're, well, that they go, the this is what point. we want to do? That's, look, that's the whole point. That's what's funny is that in order for you to be behind this, you have to be historically ignorant. But guess what? Most of those folks can check off that box in a New York second, okay? They are historically <laughs> ignorant. They have no sense of, I mean, you wanna talk about evil? I mean, the Soviet Union, what they did to people of faith, what China is doing to people of faith, many of them Muslims, many of them born again Christians, what these governments do to people of faith is satanic. But the people pushing for Marxism in this country or for socialism, they don't have any sense of the importance of faith, number one, so that they don't really think about people of, of faith. They just they just kind of slough it off. And they have no idea that they may end up on the wrong side of things, where they may end up in the gulag or in a, 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 a prison camp because they said the wrong thing. They, in order for people to be behind this, and it's why many young people are behind it, is because they simply don't know. My folks taught me to despise communism. My mother grew up in what became right. East Germany. My father grew up in Greece where I had the civil war with the Marxists, with the communists of, of the day. They, they made me understand that what we have in America is rare. It's not normal. And we need to protect it and preserve it. And by the way, not just for ourselves. We want it to be strong and flourishing so we can share it with the whole world. So the whole world looks at us like a shining city on a hill and says, I want what they have. How do we get how do we get that? Uh, how can we have that kind of government here? What are the principles of, of, of a free market? And I'll be the first to say the principles of a free market and the principles of a, of a free government, of self-government, have to do with virtue right. and faith. It is inescapable. You cannot get that without this. It just doesn't work. I, in, the, in the book, uh, if you can keep it, I talk about this thing called the Golden Triangle of Freedom, which I learned from my friend Oz Guinness. And I never understood this, that I've said it before, but self-government means to, to be really free. I've got to govern myself. If I don't govern myself, someone will govern me, a tyrant, a bureaucracy, uh, the woke left, whoever it is who has the power is going to govern me unless I govern myself. But if a virtuous people governs themselves and does the right thing because they answer to a higher authority, 
which is usually God, then you can govern yourself. But you need to protect that freedom from the encroaching state and, and from, from others who simply want power. So it's, it's vital we understand this. It's never been so vital because we've been very blessed in this country. But in the last 40 years, we've ceased to teach these things. And it's why I think we've arrived at what I keep calling a, a tipping point, an existential crisis like 1776, like 1860, where if, if we the people don't stand up and fight and vote and do whatever we need to do and push back, we're going to we're going to get, you know, what what we have, uh, what we have sown. We're going to reap what we've sown. Eric Metaxas, our guest on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. More with Eric coming up. So, Eric, let's talk about uh, you, you mentioned it. And, and we were, I think the thing that's misunderstood and you, and you touched on it with all this you're talking about is if you go to the socialism communist point of view, all you simply do is take what we have, and now the ruling class lives one way, and everybody else lives another way. And I, you, I, I and listen. That's that's reality. When you talk about people about what life was like in Russia or in East Germany. My mother's relatives were in East Germany. Okay, we communicated with them. I, we visited them in 1971 when I was a little kid. We saw how the people live and how the party members live. Right. If you get high up in the Communist Party and you have power. You live differently than everybody else. So it's two tiered system on every level. That's that's history. That's not theory. That is absolute history. Well, the, Eric, the, yeah, let me ask ahead. you this and follow up on that, because, again, trying to be intellectually honest, if you are a minority or uh, minority rights are something that you are really pushing and working for right now, and, and we all should be to some point. But if you look at these communist socialist countries, how are the minorities, how are they making it in those countries? That's a big joke. I mean, you, you want to talk about racism? The, communist China, okay, oh is goodness. openly racist. If you are a Uyghur Muslim, which is basically an ethnic group, okay, they send you to concentration camps. Now, th we're not making this up. They harvest your organs. If you're a healthy 28-year-old, uh, they will say, oh, you're a political prisoner. So they will harvest your organs and, and they can get $500,000 for what's inside your body. And they have no problem, no moral problem with that because you're subhuman. You're, you're not part of the party. They decide who lives and who dies. That's reality. And this country, I mean, this is the, it's key to say this, that the abolitionist movement the civil rights movement in this country, these were fundamentally Christian movements. It was the Bible-thumping Christians who were the strongest for the abolition of slavery. The average churchgoer didn't give a hoot. You just That's just the way things are. But if you believe in the Bible, you are against slavery, and they won. And the civil rights movement, it was the Christians. People don't know. Rosa Parks, uh, 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 Jackie Robinson— they were profound Christians, and that's why they were leaders in this movement. Martin Luther King Jr.'s version of civil rights is Christian. The, the BLM version is not just not Christian. It is anti-Christian. It is atheistic Marxism, which will get you the opposite of racial harmony every single time. People, people simply need to know these are the historical facts. And I know that it's complicated, but it's not that complicated. Yeah, well, if you care 
about black people, right. you had better not ally yourself with BLM. I'm just telling you straight up, they're a Marxist organization. They're against what most blacks are for, which is biblical values, family, all that stuff. BLM is against that. On their website, they say they're against that. But but people just kind of float along. They want to be woke and cool. And frankly, uh, you know, a lot of Germans did that in the 1930s. And at some point, you wake up to what you have allowed to happen. No doubt. And and you look at some of the things that you see historically. And But keep in mind, and you said it, the problem that we see with especially the younger people in our country is we've allowed the this leftist uh, ideology and worldview to completely consume education, and we've let this go on for 40 years. And, and, and as the communists will tell you, all we need to do is convince one generation of Americans that the, the constitutional republic is evil and that yeah. uh, socialism and communism is preferred. And if we can get one generation of Americans to buy into that, then the country falls on its own. We never have to go to war. As you said, we don't roll into tanks. So look at this. I was talking with a young person, and they were talking to me about that they were open to this defunding of police. And, and hey, Mr. Burgess, you have to admit uh, what we saw with George Floyd was, was uh, repulsive. I said, yes, yes, it was. And there certainly are people in law enforcement that shouldn't be there. And we should concentrate on what we need to do to be sure those people are held accountable. However, you do realize what you saw with George Floyd. And they said, what? I said, an overreach of what? A government agent. You tell me that you want to then remove law enforcement completely and you want to go toward Marxism and socialism? I said, that now gives you a more tyrannical, larger a central government that then will reach into your life with their police force. All you're doing is seeing the problem with our constitutional Republic version of law enforcement, which really boils down to individual people that need to be dealt with, but you're going to replace it with a government overreach. that's going to make this constitutional Republic that we've let get, we've let get too big. What you're mad about is a government overreaching and abusing their authority, and then you think the solution is to go with a larger, tyrannical central government that will overreach their authority. Well, I mean, you know, you said it perfectly. And the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people just not thinking this through. Uh, there are a lot of adolescents and people, you know, uh, even into their 30s with an adolescent mindset. It's pure emotion. And they don't understand real lives, real people, usually poorer than you, are going to be affected horribly by this. Uh, to defund the police is going to harm the poor more than anybody. It's already happening yep. in Chicago, it is. here in New York City. I'm fine in New York City. I don't live in a neighborhood where I'm wor worried about stray gunfire. But guess what? There are tons of people who do live in those neighborhoods. What about those folks? When you ask them, they don't want to defund the cops. They want more cops because they know that most of the cops are good guys. Those are most of the cops, are the guys that are going to protect them from the bad guys. They know that they, they just don't get on CNN to talk about it. And CNN won't have them on to talk about it. But, you know, that's why I'm grateful for, for your voice. And I do everything I can to speak up, whether in my books or on my radio show, because I feel that this is something that if Americans don't wake up now, like now before this election, uh, and, you know, there's two elements, there's there's political element. And I would say there's a prayer element. People need to pray because this is something that is it, it's bigger than politics. Uh, there are some dark spiritual, spiritual forces yeah. at work uh, to take down a country 
that has blessed so many people. The American way of life, it's based on the Bible, okay? We are not a theocracy. We're not a Christian nation officially. But the ideas that we have put forth have led to more human flourishing and the elevation of human dignity and the, 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 uh, the spreading of opportunity in a way that is absolutely undeniable. People need to know that. And, and, but there are forces that want to take it down. And I, again, I say, like, if people don't get real serious, um, we're, we're going to get, you know, what we didn't want. So let's, let's, let's unpack that question. You also wrote the Bonhoeffer book. And uh, we, we, we read that. My wife and I, we did a Bible study. Uh, I don't know if you even knew that uh, from your book here on our YouTube channel. Wow. Yeah, yeah we, we walked through that entire book because it's important. Uh, and, and the thing that, that is happening now, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't think this is hyperbole. Uh, when you see John MacArthur in California, uh, when you see uh, another church in California, I don't think, I can't think of the pastor's McCoy. name. Uh, it was uh, a McCoy at Calvary. They're, yeah. they're, they're talking about putting Brad him. McCoy, in. Jack Hibbs, uh, yeah, Jay yeah. on, these are all people I know. It, I'm telling you. It reminds me of my Bonhoeffer book. Okay, that okay. was my question, yes. And, and, and John, it's explain no that. I Ex- wish it were. Explain that a little bit for people who may not know the Bonhoeffer story. Give, give them yeah. the, the, the two-minute version of it. Well, look, it's real simple. Uh, first of all, Bonhoeffer was a, a serious Christian, okay? A lot of people who go to church or their pastors, they're not serious Christians. They don't know the Bible. They're not willing to die for their faith. He was a serious Christian, and when he saw what Hitler was doing, he knew he had no choice but to stand up, to speak out against it, and to speak up for the Jews, because, by the way, Jesus was a Jew, and he knew that the enemy of the Jews is also the enemy of the God of the Bible and his people, which is the serious Christians, and that was a fact in Germany. And what we need to understand is that all these totalitarian uh, governments— or all of these atheistic worldviews, whether it's the cultural Marxism of the woke mob, they all have one thing in common. The biggest threat to them is people who answer to that higher authority, which is God. If you answer to God, you will not bow the knee, uh, whether it's to to somebody screaming at you from a BLM mob or Antifa mob, You, you will not bow literally or figuratively because you say, my higher authority is the God who created this world. So every single one of these um, atheistic, uh, totalitarian, you know, socialistic, communistic uh, groups know that ultimately the church, the serious churches are a threat. They do not like them because they say, we want to be the ultimate power. The state will have the ultimate power, and we're not going to put up with you. We can go back to Caesar's Rome. When you think of the early Christians, they were a huge threat to Rome because Rome said the Caesar is a demigod. You need to you know, pinch uh, uh, to, to a, a, a bit of incense to the Caesar and to do your worship, uh, your obeisance to, to Caesar. They said, we can't do that. And so they were a huge threat to the power of the Roman state. Well, guess what? N- nothing changes. That ultimately, uh, when 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 things become black and white, you see that either you're going to go with God and take the consequences, or you're going to bow to the secular authority of the state that's going to tell you what to do. So when I was writing my Bonhoeffer book, 
I must tell you, I could see this coming. I could see that it wasn't going to be, you know, some right wing, whatever. Actually, I didn't know what it was going to be. But but it seems to me that right now you have an ideology, OK, which is being imposed, uh, whether it's, you know, it, it's all cultural Marxism. So it's this whole bunch of victimized groups that are perceived to be victims. So whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter or it's Antifa who are anarchists or it, it's people agitating and half of the times they totally disagree with each other. I mean, the feminists, radical feminists totally disagree with the trans rights people. Uh, it, it goes on and on, but they are making common cause because they all agree that they want power and they don't like who has power. They don't like when we, the people say, you know, God, we have no King, but Jesus, they don't like that idea. And so when I was writing the Bonhoeffer book, I thought, you know, if this happened in Germany, which was not some crazy country, okay, this could happen in America. And, and as I see things like people persecuting, you know, whether it's John MacArthur's church or all these pastors, you think these are really people with no concept of American style self-government who are either governors or mayors or God forbid they're elected president or vice president or senator. They have a similar worldview and they are persecuting people of faith. And it always starts in the same way. In other words, they didn't persecute Jews in 1933 in the way that they did in 34, 35, 36. It's a tightening news, but they start with ostracizing these groups and saying, you can't be, um, you know, you, you, you can't be in this business. You can't be. So, so let's say somebody like the head of Mozilla votes for proposition eight in California, right? He says, I, I, I don't believe uh, the marriage should be redefined. They force that guy out of his job. Right. Let's say some psychiatrist says, I, I, I'm a Christian. I don't really believe in, uh, in same-sex marriage or whatever. So I can't really counsel that. I, I believe that this, you're, you're gone. You can't be a psychiatrist. You can no longer be in that profession. It's happening to counselors. It's happening everywhere. It's happening all over corporate America. You talk to people who say that we're having to read this idiotic pamphlet called White Fragility we're having to have these diversity training sessions, all of it, people kind of go along with that because they say, I, I want to keep my job. I want to keep my job. Unfortunately, that is what happened in Germany in the early stages. The question is, will the church and the true patriots in America stand up to this? And I'm going to tell you, in Germany, the one group that could have fought and won was the church. Bonhoeffer, and if you read my book, you know the story. He tried to get the church yep. to wake up and to stand. He, like most prophets, he was, they didn't heed his his warning. Don't make trouble. Don't make trouble. You know, they were doing the don't yeah, make well, trouble. That's yeah. the point. Don't make trouble. Just go along. Just go along. And then yeah. you suddenly realize, oops, it's too late. We're, we're stuck. We got, we're surrounded. That is effectively where we are uh, in America. Christians cannot s speak their views without being vilified. If you talk about a biblical view Canceled. of sexuality, if you yeah. say, I believe the unborn are sacred human beings made in the image of God. You're ostracized and persecuted. And, and, you know, we're not yet being sent to prison camps. But the point is, uh, we still have a voice. Will we continue to have that voice? Or will we just say nothing long enough that we will lose that voice? And then the laws will change. And, and we're look, we're fighting this now. This is like there are lawsuits happening now against Gavin Newsom. Uh, the churches are, are, are fighting for, for their life. Businesses are fighting for their life. There's a gym in New Jersey. I mean, everyone in America, 
should should raise uh, hell over this and say that I'm not going to shut down my business. I'm not going to because we are uh, we're not going to go along forever uh, along this line. We're not going to destroy our economy so that the woke mob uh, can take over. And I look, I think most Americans have a sense of this, but uh, they need to understand what's really behind it. Yeah, I, I, t- I talk about this a lot. When you're dealing with this, you have to understand if you've ever been to a national park where it says do not feed the bear. And we, and you know, the, the goofy animal people think that's for the benefit of the bear so we don't give him junk food. But no, what, what that's about, if you have 100 marshmallows and you give the bear 99, he still looks at you and says, and I'll have another. And then when you get to they're all gone, the bear says, I want more. The bear is very much like the human flesh. It's never satisfied. And so if you think you're going to win over a mob by giving in to them, they just come back and ask for something else. There's never a time that the mob says, we're good, thank you, that's all we really needed. Well, that's, that's the comedy. Like when you see the, the, the hip mayor of Portland kind of shows up dressed like a young person or whatever, <laughs> and they humiliated him. It was like the Chinese cultural revolution. And I, I'm telling you, this is so real. And I'm, I'm so grateful you guys give me an opportunity to talk well, about this. This is very real. We yeah, need well, to understand what is at stake. Well, voices like yours need to be out there. And appreciate that you are standing up and you're, you're writing the books, you're, you're doing the commentary, because it's going to be that. And, and the last part that we just talked about with the faith, it, really what's happened in this country, there was a time when the country and even our enemies thought that the answer to our problems was the church. It was the faith. Even people who didn't believe in the deity of Christ, Thomas Jefferson, still, blo- still thought Judeo-Christian principles serve us better as a society. But let me tell you, let me tell you what's happening now. We're not the solution. Yeah. We're the, we're the problem. Yeah. And you just touched, now we've been put in the crosshairs as the, the this Christian deal is not what makes America great. It's what has it is destroying America. They're the problem. We're not. Let's eradicate them in their worldview and become the godless society that they all desire. Well, that's why I think there's still enough people in this country who are willing to heed the cry. Uh, of those who are speaking out and say we need to to call we, we Americans need to be called back to our covenant with God. Uh, when you look back to uh, you know John Winthrop uh, when when he gave his uh, famous speech about a shining city on a hill using the words of Jesus that 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 we have basically a covenant with God. It's not the way Israel did quite, but Lincoln called us the almost chosen people. There is something that God has done in this country, and he only blesses us to be a blessing. He has blessed this country so that we could be a blessing to others. So if you care about people in other parts of the world who are suffering, you need to understand the Lord wants to use this country. We're supposed to be a shining city on a hill. We're supposed to hold the the torch of liberty high. And if that goes out, people around the world suffer. So don't just do this for yourself. Do this for those around the world who, who would dream of having what we have, this kind of freedom. So there's a lot at stake, guys. Thanks, Eric. EricMetaxas.com. You can go there and everything we've talked about. He's a New York Times bestselling author. We've given you at least three or four of his books that are a must-read, especially now. If you want to have some fun, the latest in the series, <laughs> Donald and the Fake News, is available August 25th. Uh, if you if you want to go back and, and read, if, if, if you can keep it, that's crucially important. Also, the one that came out in April, The Seven More Men. These are uh, seven men that... Uh, uh, that uh, we look to to say we need these kind of people again. 
Uh, or you can also go and read the book that he wrote on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you've never read it, uh, it is uh, an outstanding read. All this is available, ericmetaxas.com. And, Eric, thank you. Thank for, you, Eric. Uh, for being with us on this edition of uh, Rick and I appreciate University. it. And people can go to the YouTube channel, The Eric Metaxas Show, where I interview people. And I'd like to interview you guys, but we'll talk about that later. Thank you very much, Eric. And thanks to all of you for joining us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.